If you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, get to the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 22 of Luke today, looking at verses 1 through 23 in the CSB translation. We finish up Luke the Sunday after Easter. For those of you who are followers of Christ, do you remember that moment or that season of your life where you believed and received this gospel truth, His body and blood for you? His body and blood for you. The truth that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, laid down His life so that you could receive eternal life. His sacrifice for your salvation. His body broken, His blood poured out so that through faith alone in Him and by grace alone, not by works, we could be saved from eternal wrath, be brought into the family of God, accepted and adopted by the Father, a son or daughter of Him now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you remember that moment, that season of your life when His body and His blood for you became personal? When you came to realize that it is only by His body and blood, His sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, that you could be saved. That He willingly laid down His life so that you and me could be saved. I still remember it in my life. Coming up on 30 years ago next year up until that point i had heard the historical fact that jesus died on a cross i had sat in church services services and taken communion even and heard his heard this phrase of his body and blood it didn't mean anything to me personally because the reality was that i was still wholeheartedly trusting in myself for my salvation if heaven was to be it was up to me is what i wrongly thought So life had become a game of of trying to do a lot of good and be a good person, which simply meant look better than the people around you. Life was about keeping the dark areas of my life and heart hidden away because I arrogantly thought, well, if I'm going to overcome that or beat that, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that on my own. Or I don't care about beating that. I'm just going to live with that because, well, everybody's a sinner and I'll just live with that. And so publicly, I'd present myself as clean when, in fact, I knew I had sin in my life. Did not everything in my life was as clean as I presented it. His body and blood for me? I'd heard the gospel before. I'd had friends, middle school, early high school, who were witnesses to me. I'd heard it before, but this time as a junior in high school was the providential time that the Spirit would open my eyes to the good news of Jesus, that it was not just for others, but it was for, it was for me. Me, the works-based striving kid who needed saving. Me, the sin-hiding kid who needed rescuing. Me, the treadmill-running, gotta-keep-up-with-appearances who needed to rest in the sufficient and saving work of Jesus and His grace and truth. Isaiah 53, 4-6, prophesying of Jesus centuries before his birth, life, and death, says this, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He himself for our sickness, our pain, our rebellion, our iniquities, our punishment. His wounds for, his wounds for our peace 
our healing, our salvation. No greater love has ever been demonstrated in the history of humanity than Jesus selflessly and sacrificially allowing His body to be broken and His blood spilled on a cross that was made for a criminal, and yet He was innocent in every way so that whoever would believe in Him and put their trust in Him might not perish in eternity but have everlasting life. His body and blood for you. Brothers and sisters, do you remember this? Do you remember that truth that not only led to your your justification and your salvation, but it's led to good news in your life since then? Good news even in the midst of suffering or good news even in the midst of success and mountaintop. That moment when it became personal, that season of your life when it became personal, I pray that when we remember, it would lead us to worship. It would lead us to gratitude. See, some of you were enslaved to a workspace treadmill. The good news of Jesus entered in. Some of you thought you'd done too much, not done enough, ran too far, and the good news of Jesus entered in. God sent His Son, His body and blood for you. It's a sweet and saving news to this day. If you're here, you're watching, and you have yet to believe and trust in Jesus, and you're still trying to run and hide, or you're still trying to cover your own sin with your own good works and religious activity, trust in Jesus today. Rest in Him. Transfer your trust away from yourself and on to the sufficient sacrifice, the suffering servant who suffered for you so that you could find life. In today's passage, Jesus is going to be enjoying the Last Supper with His disciples. And in this Passover meal, they will enjoy their first communion or Lord's Supper together. Jesus calling them to remember his sacrifice on a daily basis, on a, I'm sorry, on a regular basis through the symbols of unleavened bread and wine. Symbols that remind us of his body and his blood given so the lost could be found, so the wandering could come home, the orphan or separated could be adopted and brought near. So verses 1 and 2 in Luke 22 begins, the festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him, Jesus, to death because they were afraid of the people. Remember, in the final days of the earthly life of Jesus, this is where we're at. In these days from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, the Passion Week, and we've seen this ongoing theme that the religious leaders continually looked for a way to kill Jesus, to get rid of him. And at the same time, they're afraid of public opinion. They've attempted to try to turn people against Jesus, but thus far we've seen any attempt they've made has been worthless. These leaders don't fear or revere the Lord. Instead, they fear people. And so they are in look, they're on this lookout for a secret way to get a hold of Jesus, to get rid of Him, so that toward the public, their hands can remain clean. What is ironic in this situation is this is a Passover celebration, an annual celebration in Jerusalem one of the most significant dates in the Jerusalem calendar, or in, in the uh, Jewish calendar. And they should be preparing for this feast. They should be focusing on worshiping the Lord, but instead they are looking for a way to kill the Lord, scheming. There's such a contrast between the first two verses. First, verse 1 is this anticipated celebration. Verse 2 is full of darkness and evil revealing the hearts of men that on the outside appeared religious, 
but inwardly we're so far from this attitude of surrender to the Lord. The darkness of verse 2 then carries into verses 3 through 5. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowds was not when the crowd was not present. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus who had been with him for three years of ministry. Jesus said this of Judas in John 6, speaking to his disciples. He said, starting in verse 64 of John 6, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the, be- from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. And then skipping to verse 70, Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12, because he was going to betray him. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. He was not caught off guard by Judas's betrayal. This was all part of the Lord's providential plan of redemption. Judas has been around Jesus for years. This is a sobering reality that you can be near Jesus, you can be around the things of Jesus, and not be joined to him in relationship. You can be doing a lot of religious activity, but your heart can still be potentially far from the Lord. Your heart can still be trusting in yourself. What we see in Judas is a heart that has yet to humble himself to the good lordship of Jesus. Friends, don't let that be said of you. Don't be around the things of Jesus for decades and never actually trust in him and follow him. In Luke 11, Jesus tells a parable of a vacant house and And one truth we see from that parable, he's comparing your life or your heart to the metaphor or the picture of a house. And he's saying, if your house is not ruled by Jesus, then the house remains vacant. And you leave yourself, your hearts, your life susceptible to being led by our spiritual enemy. This is what occurs here in Judas's life. His life, while being near Jesus physically, was never led by or ruled by Jesus. And so the enemy is able to influence and lead Judas toward evil. How Satan entered Judas is not described. What we do know is that Satan was able to guide Judas toward the evil of betrayal. At the same time, Judas is still accountable for his actions. Judas left his house vacant and thus susceptible to evil influence. And he is willingly going to go down this process of betrayal. Why did he want to betray Jesus? Well, that's been a a topic of speculation for years. We know that one mixture in the motivation was that of greed. And so secretly, he meets with some of the religious leaders. They're thrilled that someone so physically close to Jesus is willing to betray him and that it can go down in secret. They're also thrilled that now they have a scapegoat in Judas. Dirt on the hands of Judas while their hands remain supposedly clean. They agree upon price, 30 pieces of silver, which interestingly enough is the going rate for a slave at that time. For that's all that they saw Jesus as, a slave. A person who was speaking out against them that needed to be controlled and done away with. Little did these religious leaders know that Jesus 
was willingly going to give of himself up for arrest, for beatings, his body, his blood upon the cross. He is the one who's fully in control this entire time. The words of Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20, who was betrayed, left for dead, and yet lived, and his life leads to the salvation or the life of others, foreshadows in Genesis 50, it foreshadows these moments here in, in the New Testament. And Genesis 50, 20 says, You planned evil against me, God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. The evil that Satan and Judas and the religious leaders had planned against Jesus, the Lord planned it for good. The Lord will redeem the evil, use it to bring about salvation for all those who will believe and trust in Him. And loved ones, we worship the same God today. We worship the same God today who is able to bring about good from evil, able to redeem the most horrendous things. For instance, the innocent, innocent one dying upon the cross and redeem that for the good of others. The secret betrayal goes down, or the secret betrayal deal goes down, and Judas starts looking for a good opportunity then to betray Jesus in secret. Verses 7 and 8, Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had, had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Passover, this is the annual celebration that's taking place in Jerusalem at the time. A celebration of the Lord delivering His enslaved people from Egyptian control and oppression. Bringing prideful Pharaoh to a place of surrender through a series of plagues that finished with the worst plague of the firstborn son dying upon the family, including Pharaoh's son. And prior to this plague, the Lord instructed His people, put the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of your homes. And if the blood of a sacri sacrificed lamb was on, the, was on the doorpost, the door frames of your home, the angel of death would pass over your home and, and your firstborn son would not die. The people then would be hidden under, covered by the blood. And so instead of death coming to them, life would be theirs instead. Following this tenth and devastating plague, Pharaoh breaks because his son dies. He releases the Israelite slaves. He then changes his mind, tries to chase them down, pins them against the Red Sea. But God, he parts the Red Sea. Millions of Israelites cross over on the dry land, walking toward freedom. And the Egyptians are swallowed up by water and the enemy is beaten. The Passover meal commemorates the Lord's mighty and faithful and loving deliverance of his people from slavery toward freedom. And preparations for the Passover meal began on Thursday morning, a meal that included unleavened bread. Unleavened, why? For a couple reasons. Because the night the Israelites had to leave or had to flee from the Egyptians, they had to leave in such a hurry that the bread didn't have time to rise. As well as in the scriptures, we see that leaven or yeast is also associated with sin. First Peter, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5 being an example of that. So in the afternoon of Thursday, the Passover lamb would be taken to the temple and slain, and then after sunset, the actual Passover meal would be observed and enjoyed by households. Jesus charges Peter and John, two of his closer disciples, to go make preparations for them to enjoy this Passover meal together. Verse 9, 
And as we read this, notice how Jesus knows all the details. This is similar to Palm Sunday when he says, go get a colt for me to ride into the city on and knows all the details of how it's going to go down. This reveals again his good and loving control that Jesus has. He's sovereign. And so while the scenes that we will look at in the upcoming Sunday seem chaotic, he's in control. So verse 9, where do you want us to prepare it? They ask him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house. The teacher asks you, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Why all the secrecy here? Why all the uh, talk to this guy, see this guy, see the red barn, turn there, what's the password? Why all the secrecy? Even Peter and John don't know where they're going to land. Because the time yet for Jesus to be arrested and betrayed is not to go down yet. The Passover meal had to happen first. He, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples more prior to betrayal, including washing of their feet is going to happen in this upper room. Jesus doesn't want Judas to know where this upstairs room will be because this would be a prime opportunity in secret, away from the crowds, for Judas to betray Jesus. Again, I want you to see that Jesus is leading here. He's in control. He's hours from his death. He's in control. He's not surprised by anything. But the steps are being ordered by his good authority. I've said that in the message thus far. We've seen that repeatedly. That's been one theme that I've, I've seen just personally since we've been back in Luke from Luke 19 in late January to now. Why do I want to keep emphasizing this? Because as your pastor, I want to pour courage into you. To encourage means to pour courage. I want to pour courage into you, not with my words, but with the word with a continual reminder of who our God is. That in what appears to be chaotic, He's in control. He's not in heaven pacing back and forth wondering what to do. He's not perplexed. He's not confused. He's not at a loss of, of how to redeem brokenness for His good and for the good of others. Some of you in the past couple years have gotten really fearful and really anxious for the future, or really bitter, or really angry, or really cynical toward the world that we've been called to reach, or even toward fellow brothers and sisters who you will worship with for all eternity. Loved ones, the one we read of in Luke 22 will give of his body and blood on a Friday, rise on a Sunday, later ascend to heaven, one day is returning, and until he does, his name is still above every other name, including yours and including mine. Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, is still reigning, still ruling, still seated. Not anxious. Still seated at the right hand of the Father. You can trust him with your life, not just on your deathbed. Like you can actually trust him with your daily life life. You can trust Him with your struggle against sin. You can trust Him with what is happening, what appears to be chaotic 
in our world. You can rest in Him. You can lay your head on the pillow and know that He's still in control. He's still sovereign. You can repent of sin and turn toward Him and be met with grace. You can pray because He's sovereign. You can go show your neighbors what it looks like to love Jesus. You can go tell others of Jesus because He's still in control. He's causing the growth as we plant and water. May He alone be our collective refuge and fortress, our rock, our redeemer. He's been that way since Old Testament. He continues to be that way because He's the same God. He's beyond time, beyond space. He's not limited by circumstances. He's not boxed in by circumstances. Verse 14, Jesus and his disciples are now in this upper room together. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Life won't be the same after this meal for these disciples. In the coming hours, there will be suffering and separation, sorrow, scattering of the disciples. But before all that, Jesus fervently desired to eat this Passover with them. He wants to be with his, his disciples because we serve and worship a relational Lord and Savior who still to this day desires to be with His people and for us to be with Him in communion, abiding in Him, remaining in Him. He enjoys to eat from the Word with you. He enjoys when you commune with Him as a way of life and not simply to compartments of your life. We still serve a Lord and Savior who desires fellowship because He's made the way possible for that to occur. And in verse 18, Jesus looks forward long past the cross, resurrection, and ascension into the book of Revelation where the people of God one day from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will gather in His kingdom. People who have been purchased by His blood and together with one loud voice that we will declare worthy is the Lamb who is slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus, is what we will declare as the people of God. Worthy is the one who gave of His body and His blood for us. In verse 18, Jesus is saying, I will not enjoy a Passover meal again until all are gathered into the kingdom of heaven. Until the plan of redemption is complete, the entire family of God who I've died for will be together in heaven. And so the mission to go and make disciples that he will commission these disciples with later on, that he commissions us to this day to go and make disciples, we see that mission here in this passage, that there are more people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people that need to be brought in, that need to recognize and come to the saving knowledge that Jesus died for them, that his body was broken for them, that his blood was poured out for them, not just for us, but for them. And so we as the people of God need to be on mission because there are more people that will be crying out with us, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. All riches and honor and power and blessing are His. 
more people that need to be brought and rescued from darkness to light. Verse 19, Jesus gives new meaning to the unleavened bread and wine. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with him for the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them would be who was going to do it. I love the disciples. We'll talk about them more next week when they start arguing about who's the greatest in this scene of all scenes. The Passover was centered around the life of a lamb being given. John the Baptist, three years prior to this moment, declared that that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says that Christ is our Passover Lamb. He is the one who was sacrificed so that we could be saved from eternal death and be given new eternal life in Him instead. He was the Lamb who was slaughtered so that in the brief life here, for all eternity as well, that we might declare with one voice, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb who takes away and has taken away the sins of the world and set us free, brought us, delivered us from slavery to freedom. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, a new covenant has been established. Hebrews 10 tells us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of the world. So what we need as the people of God is something far greater than a temporary sacrifice. We need a sufficient sacrifice. A sacrifice that would take away and cover our past, present, and future sin. Dealing with sin once and for all time rather than every temporary sacrifice. A sacrifice, whether it be an animal in the Old Testament purposes or nowadays for us, the temporary sacrifice of a good work. We want to rest in the sufficient saving work of Jesus. So are you trusting in Him, loved ones? Life is but a vapor. Are you trusting in Him? Are you following Him? Are you resting in Him? Or are you still trusting in yourself? Still trying to run and hide in shame? Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law. Verses 19 through 20, And He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup, after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus calls his disciples then and now to remember his body and blood through the symbols of communion. Because through remembering him, our hearts are led to worship. We remember Jesus' wounds for our healing, his piercing for our salvation. We remember that we were once enslaved to sin, but Jesus has delivered us. We remember that we were once oppressed and chased down by the enemy, pinned back it, it felt like. But God made a way for us to walk toward freedom, to be saved and rescued from oppression. And he beat the enemy on the third day. We remember that we were once on the wide road to eternal destruction, but Jesus, by his grace, has brought us upon the narrow road that leads to life. We remember that we were once alienated and separated because of our sin. But Jesus, by his body and blood, has brought us near and desires to not only enjoy an eternal feast together, but 
commune with us here in this life. We remember that once we were without hope, but Jesus is now our living hope. And so when we experience trouble in this life, we can be of courage because He rose from the dead, because we can take heart. He has overcome the world. The new covenant in Christ creates a new people, my fellow brothers and sisters, a new people, a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, a people who've been brought together, brought together, not because of anything of this earth, but because of our shared worship and trust in Jesus Christ, our shared declaration that He is worthy, He is worthy, He is worthy. And one day, the family of God will do that for all eternity. And until that day, we are called to remember His sacrifice through communion in this local faith family, remembering His body and His blood. Our First Impressions team, um, we're going to move toward communion now. And so, um, thank you. There you go. Um, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to take communion. Let's do that and let's spend time as we consider the elements, continue to be praying for Mike and continue to be praying for Brenda. And uh, and then we will uh, sing and respond to the Lord in worship. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling your church to remember you and your new covenant of grace through communion. We are grateful to join in with believers not only around us here, but in the larger kingdom and throughout all of history who have been taking of the bread and drinking of the juice and wine to remember your sacrifice. It is good to remember, Lord. It's good to look back on your saving work in our lives and your grace and truth. It's good to remember in present day life that you've delivered us from the enemy and the power of sin. You've set us free. Your sacrifice was sufficient for all our past, present, and future sins. Enable us by your spirit to turn from sin and self and worship you with our way of life. May your grace motivate us toward faithful, God-glorifying living. It is good to remember, Lord, of the mission that you've called us to, that there are more people to reach, fan into flame our hope in you, Lord and our prayerfulness that worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You are worthy. We confess that with our lips. We pray that you would help our lives confess it on a daily basis. We pray this in your name, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen. Paul writes this in Romans 5, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received this reconciliation. 
Father, thank you for saving us, for reconciling us to yourself through the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you that you have brought us together as brothers and sisters in this local faith family. And God, thank you for my brother Mike and his wife Brenda. Thank you for Mike and his faithfulness as an elder, his friendship as an elder, as a fellow shepherd, pastor, overseer here. I pray you would strengthen his body and his mind. Lord, thank you that you have provided medical staff that call this church home. And thank you for the blessing of that. Your provision, your knowledge, your sovereignty in so-called little things like that. God, it is a sweet gift to call one another family and to be together and to gather together. Continue to strengthen us in the faith and deepen our trust in you and be glorified by our way of life this week. We pray this in your name. Amen.